Lord, we know that even just in our regular, everyday lives, our minds and hearts are bombarded by cares and worries and exhaustions. Lord, would you help us now in the midst of those difficulties? Help us in this moment. Would you strengthen us to be able to hear and to take these things to heart? Would you guide us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. I'll begin here in verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter. So this is Hebrews in chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctified... And those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." This is the word of God. Now I know that is a lot to digest, but we're going to make a go at it. You'll remember, if you've been here with us over these past several weeks, and even if you haven't, here's good summary. We've talked about how a simple summary for the whole book of Hebrews is just this. Christ is better. Jesus is better. So in chapter 1, Christ is compared to the highest created beings, which are the angels, and Jesus is still better. 
And then in the opening of chapter 2, which we talked about last week, talks about how Jesus has not become an angel, but he's become man to reclaim the crown over his kingdom of creation. And if we do not neglect his great salvation, we also, humanity, will rule and reign with him in the new heavens and new earth. Now, that said, in talking about how Jesus is better, we must never make the mistake of letting ourselves think that because Jesus is enthroned at the right hand of the majesty on high, because Jesus is above all things, that he is somehow disengaged with us here below. We must not think that Jesus is removed from our experience. In this section, Jesus calls us his brothers. And that's because at his conception, at his birth, which we celebrate around Christmas time, Jesus became flesh. He became man. He was incarnate. That's what the word incarnate means, that he put on carne, uh, that he put on flesh. And that does not mean that Jesus just wears human skin. That's a gross image from a horror movie. It also does not mean that Jesus just looked human, as the angels sometimes do. But Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became and still is now truly and fully human with everything that comes with that. That means Jesus, at some point, had to learn his ABCs. I mean, I guess he was Jewish, so what is that? This Aleph Bet Gimels? Uh, Got to brush up on my Hebrew there a little bit. He had to learn his ABCs. He had to go through puberty and all the joys that come with that. Hormones, pimples. Jesus had to grow and become strong in spirit. Jesus had real emotions. He was sometimes sad, thrilled, upset, excited. Jesus could get cold, could get wet, could get stomach aches. And Jesus was at times bullied and beaten because Jesus could be hurt. The author here tells us that Christ became like us in every respect. Now, we don't want to be too silly with that and take it too far. It does not mean that Jesus had every single human experience. For example, Jesus was never a woman. Jesus never experienced human old age because he was killed before he was even my age. 
Jesus did not have every single skill or talent. Jesus did not experience every single sickness or disease or disability. Uh, Jesus didn't have every experience. He never bungee jumped. He never used Google. And yet, it's true that Jesus is like us in every respect. In other words, our God shares our human condition. He gets us. He experiences us, not just from the outside looking in, but from the inside. And this is one of the main things that sets Christianity apart from any other religion. That the eternal Christ now shares flesh and blood. And in that condition, Jesus suffered. In fact, the focus of this section of Hebrews is how important it is for us that Jesus suffered. So let's look at it and see what we can sift from this. Look here in the beginning in verse 10. Look with me. Let me read it. For it was fitting, says the author of Hebrews, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, that's God, the Father, he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus, in order to bring many sons to glory, had to be made perfect through suffering. Now, if at this point a question pops up in your mind, wait a minute. Jesus had to be made perfect? I mean, I, wasn't Jesus already perfect? How is he made perfect? If you're asking a question like that, Good. That means you're thinking and engaging with these sorts of things. And if we mean morally perfect, if we mean sinless, then yes, Jesus is perfect and has always been perfect. We talked about this uh, right after our confession of sin and the assurance part. It comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse... Well, let me find it. Verse 15 the author says this, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, this is now talking about Jesus, but one whom in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ is truly human and yet without sin, which, by the way, side note, when we sin, that comes from our sin nature, not our human nature. Sin is not a truly natural part of the human condition. That is not how God created humans to be. Christ is truly human without sin. So... If Jesus is sinless, and he is, then what does it mean that he was made perfect?
perfect. Little Greek lesson here. We know the New Testament was written in Greek, so I can do a little of that. The word that's translated perfect here is the Greek word teleao. And it's often translated, uh, and this is the sense of the word here, this word teleao is often translated as complete, or filled up, or finished. So for example, when Jesus sends a message to King Herod at the time, uh, this is in Luke, he says, uh, I, I'm doing all these miracles, and, and uh, I'm doing them today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I teleao, I'll be done. I'll be completed. In other words, I will have finished that work. Or, to get a sense of the word teleahu here, we could think about a, a television. So if you've got a television in your home, brand new, purchased it right out of the store, probably off of the internet or something, and, it, and it's sitting in the corner, still in its box, still sealed up in the plastic wrap, totally untouched, mint condition television. I mean, you could say in some sense that that TV is perfect. But that's not what we mean when we say it's a perfect TV. No, no. You would have to open up, the, you know, rip off the plastic wrap, uh, set it up wherever you're setting up that TV, get all the cords out, uh, you know, uh, call someone younger that can figure out all these tech things. Uh, that's true for me now, too, my goodness. Uh, get it all plugged in and everything, and then, and then look at the remote that's got a billion buttons on it and figure out which one's the power button, and then press it, and it comes on, and you go, ah, perfect. Now the TV is doing and has done what it is made to do, which is to show me cooking shows in Sesame Street. That's a perfect TV then. So it's in this sense that Christ had to be perfected, that he had to complete what he came to do. And the author here tells us, here in verse 10 at the end, that that perfection of Christ had to come through the experience of suffering. The suffering then of Christ happened in his final death on the cross. But it also happened throughout the course of his life as he faced struggles and battles against temptation to sin. His life was characterized by suffering. And the suffering of Christ has some pretty huge implications about the way we see God and even the reason for suffering. So when the question comes up, as it sometimes does, it's a good and fair question, why is there suffering in the world? And often when people ask that, they're not just being philosophical, it's usually very personal. What we usually mean is why is there suffering in my world? Why am I struggling so much? Why is this just so difficult? And some will try to answer that question with a very simple answer. There's suffering in the world because man has free will. That does not quite fit with the logic of the Bible. 
And that answer just falls short. If man's free will is the ultimate reason for suffering, then we have to ask a follow-up question. Could God overrule man's free will in order to end suffering? Could God overrule my will in order to end my suffering? If the answer is no, God cannot do that, then we have an inferior God, a powerless God, a God who is beneath even the will of man. If the answer to that question is, yes, God can do that, but he chooses not to do so, then that opens up a whole other box of questions. If God could stop suffering, and he sometimes does, why doesn't he do it this time? Why is God not doing something in my situation? I mean, I am looking for a miracle of God. I am praying for a miracle of God, and God never comes. And if we think that over the course of time, that will wear on us. It will leave us feeling bitter and forgotten and lead us to doubt the goodness of God. If we take the free will of man as a sacred cow that is untouchable by God, and we follow that idea where it takes us, it will lead us into the woods. And we'll end up with even more questions than we started with because it is an inferior answer to the question of suffering. The Bible, however, leads us in a better way a way that doesn't even mention or really talk much about the will of man. Because while the Bible does not answer every question about suffering, the fact here that Jesus shares our flesh and blood, and that Jesus is perfected through his own suffering, that will give us the direction of a much better answer, at least providing a way forward for us. I've been very helped uh, by Tim Keller. He's a, a now very famous pastor in New York City. Uh, I think he was made famous or put on the map by the book, The Reason for God, not quite as skinny as some of the books that I, I like, but um, he wrestles with this question about the reason for suffering in his book. Let me read to you just a few uh, words of his here. He says this, Jesus Christ knows firsthand despair Rejection, loneliness, poverty, bereavement, torture, and imprisonment. On the cross, Jesus went beyond even the worst human suffering and experienced cosmic rejection and pain that exceeds ours as infinitely as his knowledge and power exceeds ours. In his death, God suffers in love, identifying with the abandoned and God-forsaken, why did he do it? The Bible says that Jesus came on a rescue mission for creation. He had to pay for our sins so that someday he can end evil and suffering without ending us. Now let's see where this has brought us. 
If we ask again the question, why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? And we look at the cross of Jesus, we still do not know what the answer is. However, we now know what the answer isn't. It cannot be that he doesn't love us. When you face suffering as a Christian, you will not often be given the reasons why you suffer in this particular way. Job never found out the reasons why he was put through suffering. But in the midst of your suffering as a Christian, you are given a strong leg to stand on, which is that Jesus suffered too. He willingly, knowingly subjected himself to suffering through all the struggles, trials, temptations, even death, because he loves us. So if you find yourself struggling, tell yourself the truth. Jesus suffered because he loves me. 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 And that truth will carry you through the fire. Now, in the rest of our time, Jesus, through his own suffering, helps us broadly, of course. But he helps us in very particular ways, ways that are specifically addressed in this section of Hebrews. And so I want to look at just three of the ways that uh, the author tells us that Christ helps us. And these are the three ways. The suffering of Christ first delivers us from the source of sin, the suffering of Christ, two, delivers us from the slavery of sin. And three, the suffering of Christ delivers us from the seduction of sin. And they all start with S, because I'm a preacher. From the source of sin, the slavery of sin, and the seduction of sin. So let's look at each of those one at a time. First, the suffering of Christ delivers us from the source of sin, or at least, I should be clearer, a main source of sin, which is the devil. You can see it. The end of verse 14. That through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The devil holds the power of death, he says here. Now, we know, ultimately, the devil does not hold these things in his hands. No one can die apart from the will and hand of God. But, the devil does have a very real and strong power of death. And I think, perhaps his strongest power of death is he can cause us to doubt or even to disbelieve 
the goodness of God. He's been doing it from the beginning. You remember Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, enjoying, ruling, and reigning over all of God's good creation, Satan then uses the power of death against them. Not by crashing them over the head with a hammer, but by clouding their minds with confusion. As he just asks a simple question, did God really say Did God really say? So Jesus then, in John chapter 8, calls Satan a murderer from the beginning. He introduced death into them, and in the same breath, calling Satan a murderer from the beginning, he calls him the father of lies. In the face of your own suffering, you may hear a voice whisper into your clouded mind, did God really say he loves you? Did God really say that? Where is your God now? Does he even care? And if you feel that, if you hear that, because Jesus now suffered, we can look that square in the face and say, yes, he cares. He did not only say he loves us, he shows he loves us by tasting death in my place. We can expose then the lies of Satan because of the suffering of Christ. Christ's suffering delivers us from the devil as a source of sin. There's one. Let's look at the second one. The suffering of Christ delivers us from the slavery of sin. You can see it, verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The slavery of it is death and the fear of death. We know that all of us are walking around with a giant anvil hanging over our heads by a string. All of us, young and old. And we may not always see that or recognize it or think much about it, but it is always there. It looms like a cloud that follows us. And what Christ has done when he became man, like a brother to one of us, he put himself under that anvil. And when on the cross, the string was snipped, the the cross crushed him in the darkest day of history. Through then, the suffering of death, Christ was made Perfect as he was raised again to life, now holding the keys to death in Hades. For all who trust in Christ and who are united to Christ, Jesus then brought us with him in that process. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6. 
I should maybe read from this chapter more often here as, than I do, but Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Paul says this, For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's the good news. Death is not the master of Jesus, and it is not the master of the Christian because you have died with Christ and the power of sin went to the grave with it. It no longer hangs over your head. That freedom from ultimate death is what makes the Christian bold and unafraid. This is the fire that fueled the martyrs. This is the spark that kindled revivals. This is the torch that lit the way through evangelism. That Christ delivers us from the slavery and fear of death. That's number two. Finally, here's our third one. The suffering of Christ delivers us from the seduction of sin. You can see it, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Sin calls to us. Sin bats its eyes and shows a bit of skin to lead us to death. And yet, the experience of temptation by itself is not sin. The author says here that Jesus was tempted. He was really tempted and, and, and put out of your mind the idea that it was just easy for him to deny sin because he was also fully God. No, it says he suffered when tempted. It was hard for him. He battled and wrestled with sin to push it aside so that he would not do sin. So do not be surprised if you experience the same thing. When you war against sin in your heart, when you wrestle against sin in your life, you are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Do not think you are helpless against it and that this is a losing battle. Jesus has been there. He has suffered too, and he is able to help you endure in that fight. 
Paul talks about this in explicit terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Don't you want to endure against sin? The way of escape here is found in Jesus. While the devil is defeated and the mastery of sin is removed for us, each of these will scrape and claw to try to reclaim the hooks of their hold into your life. So call out to Jesus for help and keep calling out. We need this regularly. In fact, we do this together at least once a week. Although I trust that you do it on your own, in your own time as well. Especially when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We ask specifically for this each week. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Westminster Confession then, in commenting about this section of the Lord's Prayer, very wisely says there are three ways in which the Lord does that to deliver us from evil. It says, either the Lord steers us away from the temptation to begin with so that we never even have contact with it, praise God, or the Lord gives us strength to withstand in the face of temptation. That we would, he would equip us by his power. Or, if we fall into that temptation and submit ourselves to sin, he will raise us again and strengthen us anew that we would be sanctified in our salvation in our growth in his grace until the day in which we are finally freed from all sin, all temptation, all evil forever. As we look forward to that day, ring this bell of truth in your heart and mind that Christ out of profound love for us, became man and was perfected through suffering so that he might bring many sons to glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that on our own these things are too much for us. They are. Would you be our help? 
Be our guide, be our strength as we suffer and face temptation. Lord, thank you for being unashamed to call us brothers. Thank you for becoming man and putting on our weakness to bring victory over sin and death. You are a truly great God, and we praise you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.